Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 77. Today we spoke to Shane O'Donnell, Clara Hurling legend and PhD student with UCC and Harvard. Shane won the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship for his county Clare in his debut season in 2013 and played a huge role in the final victory. He was named Man of the Match. He was awarded a Fulbright Scholarship to Harvard in the US in 2019 and it's fascinating hearing the story behind this. He discussed the differences between studying and playing in Ireland and the US and his advice on the student-athlete balance. He discussed the aftermath of that individual performance for the ages in 2013, what makes hurling special, hamstring injuries, the importance of playing with confidence and Shane's studies for his PhD such as gut bacteria and IBS. Thanks for joining us Shane. Episode 77 was brought to you by Cool Slitters. You can find out more about their products online at www.coolslitters.ie. They provide quality GAA hurling and football products and training equipment. We're very fortunate to know the people behind Cool Slitters, so we're always very grateful to partner with them. So thanks again, and please be sure to check them out. Hi Shane, thanks for joining us today. Where are you speaking to us from? Hi Kieran, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm back in Clare, back in Ennis now today. So uh, I'm just after finishing work in the lab in Cork. So I've just drove back here. So here for the evening and have golf planned later. Nice. I suppose just just tell the listeners a little bit, Shane, about what, what your day might have looked like today. Yeah, so I, I'm living down in Cork and I'm kind of coming back to Clare for trainings and stuff. So Got up in Cork, went to the lab. I'm doing a PhD. I'm actually in the last maybe three or four months of my PhD. So I'm just trying to jump pull together the last few strings, finish off the last few experiments. So I'm just in the last maybe four weeks of lab work. Um, so I'm just running experiments at the moment. And then by the end of probably July or so, or maybe the start of August, I'll have finished in the lab. And then it'll just be writing up for the end of October is my my deadline for my thesis. So that's kind of what I'm at at the moment. That's and most days are quite similar. Um, just getting up. I'm uh, working through a certain batch of experiments at the moment, and I have club training at the moment as well. Because we're finally allowed to go back and do some hurling. You would be very much the epitome of someone that's married, that's had to marry education and you know pursuit of high level education, but also you know high level sport. You know, and how have you managed to be successful in both endeavors over the last couple of years? Yeah. I always get asked and I, I never find, I, I've always found that they've kind of married themselves perfectly. I've never really had, uh, there's obviously you know, certain scenarios that happen that you know, they clash a small bit, but for the most part, it's great to have two things that you love so much on either side. And like when one isn't going so well, the other can kind of give you a chance to you know, distract you or at least you can soak your time into that or whatever it needs to be. So I feel like you don't put all your eggs in one basket when you have two two major strands to your life almost. Um, so they, they actually, they work together perfectly most of the part or for most of the time. Um, 
but obviously there's times where they clash but they uh i i would find it easier to do both than than to choose one and do it alone tell us what age or what young age do you think you started interest in hurling and actually then also an interest in education um i guess like my dad would have been hugely into hurling and this kind of always the story and uh yeah he would have jumped brought me along to all my trains and my mother as well and my eldest brother who was seven years older than me would have been a brilliant hurler so watching him John develop and perform just got like by the time I was maybe seven or eight he was John playing with St. Flannan's College and going watching him in big games was all I needed to John think okay that's what I want to do like and that was at a, a reasonably young age of eight or nine maybe so that was definitely what kick-started the hurling watching Mark my eldest brother um, but from the education I think education was taken very seriously in our family and John, they tried to force us into every sport but also John, you had to be performing and now there was no major pressure put on but we were expected because that we had John we were reasonably good at school and we were expected to John kind of do as well as we as we should be doing basically reaching the potential that that and my parents would have John, done the same so they were just expecting what what they would have done or what their parents would have expected of them yeah it worked brilliantly with the hurling even at an early stage but it was definitely early days education was expected to be at a, a reasonably high standard now, Shane, for, for some people maybe across the pond um, who might know exactly how your story in hurling really kicked off, well, it, it kicked off with a big boom in, in a certain game a couple of years ago. Do you want to just just share with those listeners maybe a little bit on on your reflections on that and kind of what that might have been like to actually go and live through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I on my first year at the senior panel, I was uh, 18 for most of the year and then turned 19 towards the latter end of it and was basically playing on and off the odd game or I would get some time on maybe 20 minutes towards the end, that kind of style. And uh, on the last game, I started and played quite well and we won and it was the first time we'd won in 15 or 20 years, 20 years-ish. And uh, this kind of propelled our team as a whole, but also myself into um the spotlight basically and yeah it was, it was definitely not something i expected or a situation i expected to be in from hurling alone but um it was certainly a a unique experience and looking back on it it's, it's i have a very different uh outlook on it now than i did at the time but uh it was definitely unique if nothing else well, well you're coming across a little humble because you, <laughs> you you scored a couple of goals now i think it might have been three goals and three points in in not a lot of time, but like what what was that like the aftermath of that? Because I mean the expectations then, I suppose, you know, you're you're coming on and you're and you're and you're winning and you're a huge influential part of that process. What what was it like for you after that? That's what we'd be really interested in, yeah. Immediately after, as in the moments after, were obviously incredible. And but after in a space of weeks, I John was quickly quite sick of the attention that all that brought maybe or I don't know I'm never very I can never very eloquently explain how I felt at the time but it wasn't enjoyable is how I try to sum- summarize it mm-hmm. um, but when the hurling king came back around actually the whole expectation just kind of evaporated I didn't really I was so happy to get back actually training and playing again that I didn't think about okay I did this in my last game and now I have to do this this and this and whatever I actually was taking so much confidence from being able to do what I had done 
that I just was playing the best hurling I had ever played. And unfortunately, when the championship came around at the end of that year or in the middle of the, the year after we won, I tore my hamstring quite badly twice and was ruled out of the championship. And mm. it's it's very unfortunate because I would say that that was probably the best form I've ever been in. Um, just because I felt like, I okay, if I could do that, I can do anything like kind of thing or on the pitch I can I can perform whenever I need to and that was certainly it was a, just an, an bottomless pit of confidence at the time that even if I did something wrong I was just like okay but Joe I, I could do that so so Joe this isn't a problem it's, it's certainly a great story and it's a lot to take on for a young man going into a final um with it without expectation is good but you also have to you know, make the transition from younger teams, a few senior starts, and then into this huge spectacle. Was there anyone in particular you looked or looked to as a mentor at the time to help you through that? Yeah, there was players. There was players that I got on extremely well with. But I think your family is always going to be the people that kind of are always by your side, and so you can't really rely so much on supporters and that kind of stuff because they'll ebb and flow with your performances throughout the year. But uh, yeah, your family are always the people who are going to always have your back basically regardless of whatever happens but then there is players there's players that i would have been extremely close with and having that bond on the pitch when you're playing with them is is i find extremely important kind of thing and any success that we would have had underage would have been with a core group that actually moved into senior so then we had this group that we had been playing together for a long time despite the fact that it was our first year senior we all knew each other very well we were very close friends and it just allowed us to rely on each other a lot and also know what we're going to be doing from a sport point of view. So that that was certainly helped a lot in my first year and having that core group of people that I knew very well and so I knew what to expect from they knew to expect from me. Um, that kind of took the pressure off and like going out on the final wasn't any different than going out in my first championship game or going out Joe in one of the qualifier games I just treated it as a championship game there was a bigger crowd but I was more nervous in my first championship game than I was you know, playing the All-Ireland final so I think I realized that at the time as well and I look back and I'd be like that one went okay like this is going to be okay like I'm here to enjoy it in, in some respect. That's very good Shane and look you, you obviously you learned a lot about yourself and you know you could reflect and stand behind that performance that propelled you into the next year what must have been like then when you, you know, you unfortunately injured your hamstring? What did you kind of learn, I suppose, about yourself through that process? Difficult injury. You know, we've seen it in other sports when, let's think of Michael Owen as an example, he comes straight to mind, you know, hurts his hamstring. Is he the same player again when he comes back? There was always kind of questions. So so what was that sort of process of, of maybe learning through that, like, through that injury for you? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was never... I never thought about it so much like that, really, because I was so young. I was 19 by the time I tore my hamstring. I was still 19, and I just thought that, okay, this is going to be fine. And to be honest, I thought we would be in championship long enough. The week after we got knocked out, we got knocked out quite early that year. The week after, I actually played an under-21s game, which is the age group below. So, like, I was so close to being back because I had actually injured myself quite early in the season. So I just, I just, it, I don't even know if it had process that I was going to be out of championship because I just expected to be my team to still Claire still to be in it by the time I came back but it didn't in the long run because I went straight back into under 21s games and it kind of didn't I didn't it didn't sit on my mind or I didn't think oh what if I don't have that 
half a second of pace now or that kind of thing. I just I just got on with it kind of and I didn't give it too much thought. And maybe that's the naivety of youth kind of thing in hindsight, but I definitely didn't think about it and it didn't I still had that well of like, okay, I like well of confidence that took that took years of playing you know, to be like, okay, you know, when you've enough good and bad performances, that one seems long enough ago. But the hamstring never really you know, everyone everyone that's had a hamstring injury, it's one of those things you never know it's one hundred percent gone until months and months after but once i was confident that it was jump behind me then i never thought oh no this could hold me back it just didn't cross my mind really comparing the shane o'donnell of then to the shane o'donnell of today how he approaches matches is there a difference or is it quite similar with the the confidence flowing it's quite different yeah definitely i'm i'm not anywhere near as nervous as i would have been and i definitely enjoy the whole process so much more but from the confidence point of view, yeah, like I've never reached the levels of confidence I was in 2014, the year after, just because I felt like I could do anything. But form at all, like with all players, recognize that it kind of ebbs and flows. Like, and I've had moments where, or months on end, where I've been training, feeling like I have the three weeks before the All Ireland, knowing that you know, I'm playing well at the moment. And that comes every year, or you know, some parts of the year, and then it might fade away or whatever. But I have moments is what I'm trying to like there'll be months where I feel like that and then sometimes you just don't you're just not playing well and it just happens sometimes but for whatever reason it tends to be the latter end of the season I play well and the early end of the season I'm average so and and I've been working and trying to figure out why that is for the last uh, couple of years but it's uh, it just seems to be seems to be the habit or something now, now, Shane, I, I would have a good few friends um, over in the States and oftentimes we're watching an NFL game or a basketball game and I say, you know, guys, it's a great game, but let me show you YouTube videos of the fastest game in the world and I'd pop up a three or four minute clip and it'll be a combination of Kilkenny, Clare, Limerick, you know, not much Dublin and um, <laughs> the hurling. And I suppose it always piques their interest and they always end up watching it and say, I want to go over to that place, Crow Park, is it? Um, what is it about hurling? Besides where it, you know, obviously the family history you have, but even to this day, what is it about that game that makes it special for you and that you love about it? Yeah, I I, I think it is. And like, obviously, I think it is the best game there is like. And, and I think a lot of Irish people that don't love hurling, like when they go abroad, they just there's no way they can see another sport at that level. Like and. I, it's a combination of things, but I think just the speed and physicality of it is what really draws people in. And I would have a similar experience to yourself that people out in the States showing them like what hurling is, they just, well, they don't know what's going on first. But when they get into it, they instantly see why it's an attractive game like and why you would enjoy watching it. Like where some sports are kind of, you know, soccer, you, it's more about you know, realizing how important the game is or how important the team is to you is why you invest so heavily in or That's why I, why I feel people invest so heavily in soccer. It's not necessarily that the game is absolutely riveting to watch, but hurling doesn't. Hurling is just a naturally enjoyable game to watch, I think, and it's a real spectator sport. Like, so I think people have very strong opinions about it. Obviously, myself included, but I do think that's why it's easy to for other people to to really enjoy it as well. Like, it's just the raw physical nature to it, as well as being quite a skillful game. Like, and it's a, a good combination, I think, for any sport. Listeners who aren't fully aware of Shane's story, Shane, being the high performer that he is, tore the script up in 2019 and was awarded the much-coveted Fulbright Scholarship to Harvard. Do you want to tell us a bit about that experience, Shane? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so I got to spend six months in 
Boston in Harvard and uh, it was kind of naively came across the Fulbright and, and just don't talk to my supervisor and was like, look, can I apply for this? And just put in an application, put a lot of time into application, obviously, but don't just thought, okay, what's the worst that can happen? And uh, got into the interview stages and that all went well, obviously. Um, the experience itself was incredible. I, I have been hurling for basically all my adult life and I didn't get the opportunity to go do a J1 or live abroad at all. So this was my first time I'd lived outside the country for an extended period of time that wasn't a holiday. So, so, so many things wrapped into one, like, but the actual experience of going to Harvard was, um, was incredible. And just being in that, being in that environment and getting to, to meet people that are just doing incredible things like, and it's the people more than the place itself, but the place itself also has a kind of an atmosphere to it, but it was just, uh, it was brilliant. It was really, really brilliant. And the American people, every person I met was just so interesting and just so they were just incredibly friendly and it was just such a great experience on so many fronts but um yeah certainly a, a thoroughly enjoyable six months and what did you bring back from harvard to ennis that is a good question i um a different attitude towards work definitely the experiments i was running needed to be like you were in every day regardless of what what was going on and that's kind of an attitude out there that work is spend a lot of time in the work out there or a lot of people all the people in the labs there live to work kind of thing and uh it, it kind of gave me a renewed appreciation maybe for the amount of time this people like will dedicate to science and stuff but also an appreciation for the life that i have in ireland like it i loved it so much in america but the amount of time spent working was something that when i came back here and could balance it with hurling and could you know have have a bit more of time around the research I was doing or whatever it definitely made me appreciate um how good how good Ireland is to live in and how you know, it seems to strike a nice balance but outside of that my willingness to spend time to get stuff done is definitely something that was uh, definitely emphasized out there and was something that I definitely brought home with as well and uh, outside of all of that just a confidence a confidence that if like okay if I can be in Boston with these people working with in these great labs like then maybe what I'm what I'm doing here is is pretty good they're they're amazing people that you're talking to but they're still the same as you and I like so it kind of instills you with the confidence that okay the best in the field aren't miles above you like they're just people who are willing to work hard and have good ideas and whatever so it's not this mystical kind of like thing that okay they're so good that you know I could never attain that level so that was probably something that just instilled kind of confidence in me and yeah, that was probably the major thing that I came back with. Did you convert any Red Sox? Are you going to bring over to Clare? <laughs> no, I think they're fairly staunch, uh, pretty staunch in the baseball out there. And as much as you showed them hurling, I think, don't think they're going to be converting. But uh, they promised me to come yeah. over. But I think I have to get to an All-Ireland final before they have to fulfill that promise. So we'll see. I feel like uh, <laughs> the Red Sox get to another World Series now. It seems more more on the cards at the moment. But um no, there there was so many people that, and sport in Boston is huge. Like there's so many teams that are so successful. But I was lucky to be there during the Red Sox winning the World Series and Pats winning the Super Bowl. So it, to experience the sports side of things out there was, you know, it was a different level. And Americans take sport as serious as they take anything. And it was it was incredible. It was actually incredible to witness that. Hey folks, thanks for listening to the first part of the episode. We hope you're getting some value from it. What we're going to do now is 
hear from a former guest on the show, Jalen Wolf. Jalen joined us on episode 23, and Jalen's going to tell us what she does. Hey guys, I'm Jalen Wolf, a nutritional therapy practitioner. I work with all types of clients who are interested in increased performance and overall improvements in their health and well being. I take a food first approach to healing yourself from the inside out and to helping you be the best and healthiest version of yourself possible. You can find more about what I do at alchemyandiron.com or by finding me on Instagram at, at Jalen Wolf. Moving away from sport for a minute, you're in UCC doing a PhD at the moment in microbiology. Is that correct? Yeah. Tell us a bit about how you're enjoying being in the research, getting through that. And I think you're looking at gut bacteria and non-digestible carbohydrates. What can we learn and what can we expect to see from you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. Microbiology, I'm working on gut bacteria. So like crash course of like your gut has tens of trillions of bacteria, thousands of species of bacteria that are going to be interacting with anything that you ingest that isn't absorbed straight away. So the main portion of that is non-digestible carbohydrates. So things like like sugar, some like lactose even, or if you're lactose intolerant or inulin, which are like common in like a load of vegetables, broccoli and onions, those kind of things, or different carbohydrates that basically we don't have the enzymes to break down. So they'll reach our gut undigested. And then the bacteria there will then ferment them and create a whole plethora of, of different compounds that interact with our body through the cells that are there, our host cells that are actually lining the gut and further all over your body, including your brain in a gut-brain axis. So there's so many interactions that go on, but I look specifically at the way the carbohydrates are converted to hydrogen as a byproduct. Hydrogen is produced rather than them being converted directly to that and the effect that that has on like IBS and IBD. So it's the work I'm trying to do is basically trying to provide bacteria that will steer your, your gut bacteria's metabolic route away from producing hydrogen because hydrogen is going to cause um, like a distension basically of your gut, which causes pain and causes bloating, all that kind of stuff. So it's basically to avoid the production of hydrogen. You just have to. Exactly. Yeah. That's what... Yeah. So instead of like not, because the best way to reduce at the moment, these symptoms is to just not eat a whole ton of foods like loads of types of foods, just don't eat them. But the idea is basically that I could introduce bacteria that would actually break them down without producing the hydrogen. So that you wouldn't have to not eat food. You could just have back these probiotics is, is the current idea. And uh, that was what my experiments at Boston were about. And that's what I've been working on for the last couple of years. Very interesting, Shane, because I have, I have colitis, ulcerative colitis, and my granny had Crohn's, um, and it runs in our family. So we'd, we'd know all about that and all those sort of symptoms. And I would have looked a lot into gut bacteria through the years and taken different sort of things. Um, so what are, I suppose, what, what are you really learning about it that... Um, could have a big impact on a lot of people. Yeah, that's interesting that you say, and there's a huge hereditary element, obviously, to a lot of those diseases. Um, but the, even there's the so many, so many things. Obviously, the bacteria on the lining of your gut are going to impact, you know, any any of your diseases that are gut based. But the absence of those bacteria as well is a massive part. And colitis can be induced by even something as simple as taking generic antibiotics, like they could do so much damage to the gut bacteria that are there that then infectious like pathogenic bacteria could get access to your gut wall cause damage cause almost colitis in some situations or even just cause ibs or whatever 
So as well as the bacteria doing good things, they obviously, the absence of them can cause a negative impact. Um, but there's so many, there's so many interactions, but the work that I'm doing is kind of focusing on the hydrogen cycle in the gut. So the hydrogen cycle is necessary to actually facilitate fermentation for all the bacteria to generate energy. If you're producing hydrogen, you're increasing the hydrogen concentration, but then there's also bacteria that are reducing the concentration of hydrogen and using that for energy. So it's like a constant cycle, but by avoiding it, lactic acid bacteria, the bacteria that I work with, and they can avoid that cycle altogether, produce lactic acid from the carbohydrates, and then lactic acid converted to these beneficial short chain fatty acids. And they're the ones that have like the positive hmm. the talk about good bacteria are our knowledge on bacteria that produce short chain fatty acids. So it's, there's a lot of, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that you would have like personal experience and it's an incredible amount of people have personal experiences with gut related disorders. They reckon that between 10 to 12% of the global population have IBS. Like, so it's certainly not, you're certainly not on your own in that, but yeah, it, it impacts a lot of people. Yeah. Interesting to have, well, maybe not a concrete answer, but certainly more information on the mechanics at play. Very good, Shane. Um, we're curious a little bit on, say, obviously you were in Harvard for that period of time and now back back home, back in the west of Ireland, you will have seen a lot of probably student athletes, you know, because you are, <laughs> you are kind of a student athlete. What advice would you give to an 18, 19-year-old who's maybe in D1? You know, they're in a big school in the States or perhaps they're here in, in Trinity, UCD, UCC, UL, trying to marry inter-county or, you know, playing League of Ireland soccer, but also maybe pursuing a master's or a PhD or, or something of education that's really important for them. What advice, because you've obviously been able to marry the two so well and so successfully for an extended period of time. So what's 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 in that secret sauce? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, to be honest, is your commitment to the education side of things, because the sports side kind of comes automatically because you have a whole team around you and whole management setup that is built to drive you and to get the most out of your sport or get the most from you for the sport. So, so that'll in, obviously you have to put in a lot of effort and you have to take care of your body and all that kind of stuff, but that the rest of that will almost take care of itself. Like they're not going to not recognize you not performing, if that makes sense. Like if you're coming sluggish to training and you're not really putting in effort, there's someone looking at you being like, why is this? Why are you doing this? What's going on? Etc. Etc. But the education side of it is is obviously not like that. That's kind of left to your own devices, and John, the results you get will be the results. And John, nobody is really going to be like, here, look, why is this John a B and not an A or whatever your grading system is? John, it's just kind of the education is the part that I think you need to put like personal emphasis on, and obviously you put a lot of effort into the sports side of it. But the actual like trying to focus your mind it's harder I found over the years to focus on the studying and the exams and stuff because nobody's shouting at you <laughs> to do them kind of thing. So oh, yeah. the sport will not take Put care of that over the bar. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard that so many times, but yeah, I, uh, no, I, I think you need to focus on, that's what I found anyway. I found focusing on the education and the sport, the drive from the sport will come naturally as well. Cause it's, it's something you love, but also, there's, there's a team involved in driving you for that. What's your favorite hurling memory when you weren't on the field, be it as a sober fan or something like that? 
That's a good question. I would say uh, I was talking earlier about my eldest brother when he when he was in school in his final year of school. They won the All Ireland with the school. So this was the year before I went into school in St. Flannan's, would have been our secondary school. That's like a real hurling stronghold of, of when it comes to secondary school level. And uh, he was already he was a brilliant hurler, like, and I looked up to him obviously. Um, but then watching him win an All Ireland, like, which is like I wasn't even on my radar like was definitely actually now that i think of it 100 percent my best moment not actually on the pitch and especially because you know, you're with your dad and your other brothers and your mother and your family there and it's just uh definitely definitely the best moment off the pitch very good shane now let's let's just roll forward a couple of years we've talked a lot about a really interesting history lots of stories there what what's kind of next what's going on in the next couple of years i mean you've got a taste from the states do you see yourself going back there do you see yourself staying in ireland what next for for Shane O'Donnell? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I ask myself a lot that these days. I I don't. I'm not 100 percent certain. I everyone when they finish the PhD in science has like an option of going staying in research or going to industry is kind of the two the two like completely opposite decision you have to make. And uh, at the moment, I'd kind of be swaying towards going into industry, which is just working in like pharmaceutical labs and that kind of stuff. But I did get the option to. I got offered a postdoc in the lab that I left from Boston. So it's definitely weighing on my mind. Like, do I want to maybe not give up, but, you know, put hurling on pause for a while and move there. But uh, I've, my girlfriend is in Dublin for um, the next couple of years. So that's also something that I have to you know, take into account. And it's probably, you know, I, is is something I don't want to just be like, there's so many things that, that I'd be losing by going to Boston, even though it's a great opportunity it's probably not something that I want to do really. So then it's kind of looking at probably going into industry labs and working because I'm as much as I love science and research, I'd probably be kind of more business minded than I would pure research. So to get involved in a company and an industry side of things would certainly pique my interest. So that's probably where I'm leaning towards at the moment, but it's certainly not a foregone conclusion either. No, I'm sure you've been asked the question countless times give us your role model, an athlete, a hurler you'd look to and, and model your game on. So I'm, I'm more curious as to a scientist maybe or someone in that sort of space um, that you'd, you'd look at and you'd say, oh, I really admire his work or, or her work or whatever has come from, from that sort of sector. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I actually haven't been asked before, about, but it's funny that people don't really you – know, sport is just obviously the one that draws everyone's attention. Um like there's the people that you looked at when you were learning about you know, this biology from the start, like in the Watsons and Cricks of the world or you know, the people who discover these huge discoveries. But to be honest, I, a person who probably doesn't even realize they had any impact on me was the, the course coordinator. I did, my undergraduate was genetics and my course coordinator was Professor Paul O'Toole. And uh, he, he's just a very kind of dry, but also like very very friendly in his own like kind of just very helpful and very to the point and he and he's a brilliant researcher as well and he'd be in the field of gut bacteria and you know a lot of the same kind of stuff that i'd be doing just at a at a better level but he's definitely something that someone that i would have seen as he wasn't giving amazing speeches or anything but it's just a very like gets really good work done john focuses on what he's doing and just fire the people around him like and i find him like very interesting person like but i definitely 
took a lot from him in doing my undergrad and thankfully I had a lot of contact with him through the years like um while during the undergrad yeah he'd definitely be someone that had an impact without even knowing i would say and speaking of impact and we're getting to the, the tail end of the podcast so it gets a little bit deeper obviously what legacy would shane o'donnell like to leave behind <laughs> oh that's a good question i um i like the the path i'm going at the moment which tried to encourage people to marry education and sport i like that people associate both things with me and that both things or that they would look at me and say okay you, you can do both or at least to some level you can do both um so that's that's 100 something that i want not so much to be remembered for but to be shown that that be something that i would advocate but as for what to be remembered for the legacy i there's a lot of things I would like to do, but um, I would definitely like to get involved in space travel and that kind of stuff. I'm just getting involved in well, ideally being an astronaut or something. So that is, that is, that's the end goal. But uh, I think that's everyone's end goal or a lot of people's end goal. But it's definitely something that I, that would be, if you ask me what would the legacy, I, in ideal circumstances, that would definitely be it. Need to put you in touch with Chris Hadfield or somebody like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be the dream. He's a he's a pretty cool character. Do you know? Have you ever heard of Neve Neve Shaw? Do you know her? No, I don't actually. We'll have to we'll have to connect after the podcast. She's somebody that we know who does a lot of work in that sort of space. Shane, interesting question before our final question. Um, you've managed to play in many interesting places as a hurler in Ireland. Um, got the better of Limerick from time to time, unfortunately, as well, I have to admit. <laughs> If you if you could pick one arena, one stadium, one field, anywhere outside Ireland in the world that you'd like to play, you know, play with your friends, Claire, where where would that be, and why? Um, well, uh, one of the one of the great experiences I got was getting to play in Fenway Park and got a couple of opportunities to play there, and that was definitely a fantastic experience. But if I had to pick anywhere, it would probably be the Bernabeu. Um, in Real, like Real Madrid Stadium, it's just I, I'm not even sure if it's just the sheer size of the place, but I would just I went to watch a game team Barcelona and Real there a number of years ago, and it was just left an imprint on me of being this is an incredible arena, and yeah, definitely, definitely there. If I had an opportunity to play a game with a crowd, it would be in the Bernabeu. And it's actually being re- renovated at the moment, isn't it? Because that's why Real have been playing their games in the yeah, in the Di Stefano Stadium, the training field, because I think they're developing the Bernabeu for the next two years to have it revamped and bigger again. God, maybe they'll reopen it with a Claire Limerick clash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Real Madrid lead perfectly into my next question, which is one we ask everybody that comes on the podcast: What does high performance mean to you? High performance, I think, is is about potential, and I think it's. Uh, like it's really just fulfilling your potential is what I would consider high performance. And I think that anyone playing at elite level recognizes or realizes that they have potential. And then the high performance side of it is just trying to eke out every, every like of bit of potential that you have. And I think every, all the high performance and every, all the stuff that goes on is just eking those tiny bits of percentages, trying to get closer and closer to a hundred percent of your potential. And that's kind of how, how I would see it. So yeah, I think it's just trying to fulfill your potential, basically, that I would consider it. Shane O'Donnell, thank you very much for giving Kiran and myself the time this evening to um, to talk to us about your story, everything you've done to date, what's what's happened in the past, what's what's going on in the future. 
we're both wishing you all the best with, with your scientific endeavors and your work there in UCC, but also um, back in, in the kind of yellow and blue of Clare. So wishing you all the best. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, David. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Thanks, Shane. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.